The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. If we hadn't had enough with Boxgate, Kev, now we've got White Coatgate. Um, Gareth Callan sent in uh, an email. Kev. It wasn't Dear Kev or Hi Kev or How you doing Kev or Kevin Neal. It was Kev. Just catching up on a few podcasts. And just to affirm you, Neil has no knowledge of rugby and is talking absolute nonsense. I've been playing and watching the game over 40 years. Never seen a shop steward coat on the sideline. Gareth. Not even a thanks, Gareth, or cheers, Gareth. Just Gareth. Do you think he's a, a lawyer? <laughs> I don't know. He clearly likes rugby, though. He does. Because there ain't no uh, shop stewards. <laughs> 40 years. 40 years I've been in it. 40 years. 40 years I've been watching. 40 years. Uh, bless him. Uh, I know. I like it when people support He did. He, well, he went, he, went, he went full metal, metal macho there, didn't he? Watch out, lampposts. There's a Gareth about. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, well, I'll get back in my box, but I did think, oh, at least I'll go and try and do a bit of work on this. Um, I was interested, though, Kevin, that kind of, please somebody help me out here. I'm sure I saw it on the, on the, on the black and white telly box in Grandma's house on the, the Saturdays when she used to look after me. So I did a bit of sniggling around on YouTube and various other things. It turns out the Rugby League did a long, 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 long time, probably more than 40 years have men between posts wearing long white machinist jackets. But, and this is probably where I've been a bit confused, Kev, um, the, uh, have you ever watched Gaelic football? Yeah. Yeah, they they used, uh, I don't know whether they still do, but goal line umpires or referees. Yeah. One, one right. of the two just described co- colloquially as men in white coats. Mm. Uh, and they are indeed. I'm seeing here's a picture of men in white coats, and I think it's it's uh, is it hurling as well? Do they do it in hurling? Because there's Maybe. a is it GAA? It's a GAA thing, isn't it? Hurling football. So uh, Can we talk about mince pies. Yeah, let's talk about mince pies. We got sent some. Did you? Yeah, we got sent some. When you say we, you mean you? <clears throat> no, it was sent to both of us. Yeah, I know, but this um, is a bit like the book that Dennis Skyam sent that I never got, which I've had to now buy. Yeah, well, I never ate Dennis Scum's book, but I did eat the mince pies because they would go off, wouldn't they? Otherwise, so it made sense. Did you eat them all? Yeah, yeah. There was only seven, six of them. Um, Not in one sitting, Kev. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Why would you leave them on the side staring at you? What's the point in that? Uh, Pascal, all the way from Ireland, they came. Pascal Diamond. Oh, does he wear white coats? <laughs> just a little little Christmas card. Uh, thank you for all your hard work yeah. bringing us the brilliant feature cast. Enjoy the mince pies. Pascal Diamond. So, yes, I did enjoy the mince pies. And Neil, thank you for the mince pies that you didn't enjoy. <laughs> 40 years I've been eating mince pies. 40 the years. The Fuji cast. Never had a in 40 years mince pies. I but... put my white coat on to eat. <laughs> oh, uh, Gareth, I hope you don't mind a ribbing there. But he, I mean, he's generally right, I think, that there... I mean, these days, no, there's no such thing. If there are men in white coats at rugby, it's for a very different reason, I, I, I would imagine. Welcome along. How many weeks to, have we got till Christmas, Kev? There's not long to go. You've eaten all the mince pies already. One um, wedding left. I'm counting in weddings. Is that how you do it? One, yeah. one wedding, One wedding till Christmas. Yeah. Well, here we go. You and your questions from our electronic mailbag and, of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group, which you're welcome to become a part of. Send your questions via that or click at fujicast.co.uk. If you are not a Fujifilm shooter, don't worry. Big community, whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. We have a book of the week this week. Somebody sent you a book, Kev. So you've had mince pies and a book. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, we did. We got a um, a book from Asim Khan. Um, so I, I helped Asim with some choices and stuff over the lockdown. So right. he has sent me the finished product. So we'll talk oh, about that a little wow. bit. Okay. Well, do, what's the book called, or do, are you holding back? Scenes from a world in Scenes. a lockdown. Ah, right. Oh, there's a few, it's a few interesting lockdown projects happening. And I, I know we had a conversation about this in that sort of. Oh, do, will people become? tired with the lockdown thing but no, this is very different this is not yeah. what you expect it to be well i've seen a few of like i've bought a couple of late and um yeah i, I it's it plays right into that nostalgia thing that you talk about kev now doesn't it it does but it's this is uh this book is is, is a very very clever twist i, I shall mm. reveal more later okay right yeah questions uh we have one we have a bump to the front to start with don't we we do. We have, uh, remember, guys, if you are very kind enough to support us on Patreon, especially coming up to Christmas, all that, you know, I don't know, my kids are not going to have anything for Christmas Why? as it stands at the moment. Well, well because, uh, well, Father Christmas obviously has to bring it for a start, but, you know, we need to tell Father Christmas what to get. Um, I'm killing time while I try and open my email because I closed it. <laughs> Would you like me to read the bump to the front one? <laughs> uh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, Is it the Chris Ruhr one? Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, okay. So Chris, uh, as a patron, gets bumped to the front. Says, yeah. hi, Fujikas creators. Uh, I heard Kev say this week that he was getting the 50 mil F1. Yes. I'm a bit surprised since Kev said he borrowed or hired this lens a few weeks back for his big society wedding. What was he surprised about that, um, in, in that terms of your giving it, do you think? Uh, no, I think because I, it's big. Um, oh, as he goes oh. on to say, this lens is a beast, beast, beast in oh. capital letters. Uh, yes, it makes wonderful images and is a bokeh monster. Mm. However, Kev likes small and lightweight kit. Does Kev think the size and weight of the F1 will mean it may get left behind? Or Kev use it for portrait and studio work mainly. <laughs> I like the way you're talking about yourself in the third person there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what, but he's right. Did, I did. I what, did. What, what, um, does Kev, what does Kev think, Kev? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kev, Chris is right. Kev did hire it um, or loaned it, I should say, from Fujifilm for it was not a big society wedding as such, but yeah. uh, it was a wedding. Yeah. Um, and Fujifilm did kindly loan me that lens for that it? particular weekend. Yeah, because it, was, it was a sort of it was a society wedding in in, in some respects, wasn't it? Not really. Wasn't it that? was. It was just in the crypt in in um, Lambeth Palace, which is particularly dark. Um, <laughs> however, what I did identify by using that lens at that point is yes, it's enormous. Yeah. Um, I did not like the size of it. However, it did. You know, I was shooting at um, you know six thousand four hundred ISO f one with that in mm. pitch black. Whereas mm. if I was using um, so an f one point four lens or an f one point two, I'd be at eight thousand twelve thousand eight hundred ISO. Um, so I have for my winter set of weddings, uh, hired it from Fujifilm higher loan system. Is it hire a camera? Yeah. I'm not sure it's hire a camera anymore that do it with them. That's why oh. I didn't say it, but oh. it, it, whatever it's, it's the Fujifilm loan system, yeah. um, via some third party. So I have, I have loaned it for my winter weddings and partly because my 56 1.2 is, um, is at, let's just say at end of life. Oh. <laughs> And so I don't have a 50 mil variant around about, or I shouldn't say variant. Well, don't use the word mil, variant, Kev. <laughs> 50 mil, uh, roughly 50 mil length lens. Mm. Um, and I, I don't want to buy the 50 mil F1 because I don't think it's something that I would use uh, that regularly. I'm mm. hoping, fingers crossing and everything else, that we'll see some new lens updates next year. 
Um, if we don't, then maybe we'll end up with a 50 f1. But it is a wonderful lens. It is a bulky monster. Um, you don't even need to have your eyes open. It's brilliant. You just <laughs> just point it at things in the darkness, and it, it does its thing. But yes, it's big and heavy, and yeah. uh, I, I I wouldn't normally be using that. However. Uh, my next wedding, for example, is in uh, the Highlands of Scotland. Oh, and, right. Uh, you know, middle of yeah. December. It's only light for 15 minutes, isn't it? So I'm going to need it. <laughs> it's, not quite the, it's not quite the tip of Norway, Kev. But, uh, yeah. Have you got any pictures? I know it's a difficult one because you weren't allowed to really or didn't share who, who that wedding was, um, apart from the Archbishop. But have you got any pictures you can you can share from it to show the fifty mil in its uh, you know uh, do, doing no. what it does? Well, Pete. So it was Pete Reed's wedding. Um, oh, okay, sure. right, okay. You know, we had him as a guest, and yeah, he yeah, did yeah. share one on Instagram, um, which I think was one that he chose that uh, was shot with the fifty ah, mil F one. Okay, I didn't see uh, I didn't see his post. So it's Pete Reed's wedding, and if you want to see the 50 mil in action, head over to his Instagram then. Yeah, or his Twitter. Um, yeah. But yes, so that's that's really the only one. I, I, I will at some point get round to... Yeah. Um, I shot a lovely wedding on last weekend in London as well, where I used it quite a lot. So that eventually at some point that will make it onto the blog as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Paul Bartlett. I like the uh, Instagram address, at last of the seventh. I'm sorry, I'm last of the seventh photography. I'm intrigued why, why the company is called last of the seventh. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Oh, his website's fantastic. Uh, Tell us the URL then. Um, Well, it's um, lastoftheseventh.com. All words, lastoftheseventh.com. Brilliant. Look at it, Kev. So some great street work on there. Lovely. Look at that one with the the balloons. Well, uh, I heard an expression recently. It was um, provided by Robin Bell, the, uh, the, the printer, and he said you can drink in the print. And I know this is not quite the same thing because it's digital but you can drink in the contrast of these these are fantastic amazing mm, love the one at the nice. bottom with the, with the guy in the uh in in the kitchen just through the, the pass window fantastic anyway. uh, i think you're looking at different pictures to me or maybe they come up differently then might be random yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay but yes but very nice though my question is possibly more for kevin but I'd like to hear both of your opinions on this in regard to shooting weddings um, alongside an independent videographer. Is it ever an issue or do you concern yourself with being in the footage that the videographer is capturing, especially in regards to the ceremony? Getting in nice and close, especially when shooting with prime lenses, to capture the emotion and detail is going to put you in the mix of being in the scene that the videographer is filming. Obviously, the couple have paid you to capture the best photos you can, which at times will mean positioning yourself nice and close. At the same time, the videographer probably doesn't want you ducking and weaving throughout the scene like an overexcited ninja. Do you uh, ever discuss this with a videographer beforehand, or is it a case of if it's necessary to get the photo, you just do it? Appreciate your thoughts, and thank you for the many hours of informative and enjoyable listening. From Paul, at last of the seventh. Destinations, he says, are fruitless. Feast on the journey. (laughs) (laughs) Say that bit again. Destinations are fruitless. Feast on the journey. I like that, Kev. It's, you know, don't worry about, you know, when you get there, it's what you do on the way. It is very good. Yeah, I do yeah. like that. Um, um, so to answer the question, actually, 
don't work with videographers that often. Typically, my type of clients are not, uh, not right. ones that, no. that go video no. guys. I mean, it happens, of course. Yeah. And in fact, last weekend, it happened in in, in this uh, really lovely wedding in London. And um, a really nice videographer. I'd never met him before, um, Ben. And we bumped into each other, actually, just before bridal prep, uh, bumped fists, all that kind of stuff. Had a nice little discussion. And, and it was great. He's a really nice guy, very good videographer. And, uh, you know, I just said to him, uh, just before we start, look, if, if ever I'm in your way, just give me a nudge, kick me in the back, do whatever. Yeah. And he said, likewise. And, uh, you know, we just respected each other's um, space. And, uh, you know, he was constantly looking to see where I was, that he wasn't in his shot, especially during bridal prep and I was doing vice versa. I was ducking out of the room to let him get angles and things. But the actual, so the, the point about kind of, especially the hugging and things like that, especially after the ceremony, which is where, you know, I call out the bread and butter time. Yeah. Um, yes, I do get in very, very close. And, you know, the, the videographers do sometimes also, but, you know, it's it, all you can do is do your best. And, uh, you know, my, I will be doing my best not to get the videographer in the background. Um, but that does happen sometimes. And likewise, it's the videographer's responsibility to keep an eye out for me. Um, we yeah. both have two very different roles. So I'm not concerning myself with whether I'm in the videographer's stuff at that point, yeah. but I am very conscious of him, uh, you know, or her during the um, during the times when I can be. Do you not so, think as well? I mean, I, I um, from, from my own viewpoint of shooting weddings, uh, I across the years, I'm 17 this year, I've noticed that... Um, uh, that that old that old thing that used to exist between videographers and photographer that kind of you know never mind the fist bump it's almost like that the, the fisty cuffs that that's kind of disappeared now that you know that that territorial thing um has 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 kind of gone now hasn't it i think i think videographers and photographers work a lot better with each other than ever they did the days when we used to call you know um e- each other silly names for, for example, that's all gone, isn't it? Well, I have to say, I've never, in all my years doing it, I've never had one negative interaction with a videographer. Yeah, I've had one myself. I've had a couple of images where, you know, tripods at the end of the yeah. aisle and things like that, yeah. where I've wished that they weren't there. But the actual interaction on the day has never been anything but pleasant. Mm. Maybe that's because I'm more pleasant than you. The only problem <laughs> I the only problem I had, Kev, was that... Uh, that guy who um, he wore the sort of Casey Neistat kind of glasses that have the camera in them, Ooh. and he followed. Re- he was right in front of them all the way down the processional, so he was literally one step in front of them, going back. And then um, I think I shared the picture. Pretty sure I did. Yeah, I remember of it, the yeah. of the kissing at the end. And I thought, right, when when for when they when he you know you may kiss the bride. They went to kiss, and he walked right across the frame so we could get a pass by shot. So nobody saw it. Me, none of the guests, nobody but him. Did the uh, did the client say anything about that picture? Uh, no, actually, no. No, so um, so it wasn't an issue, was it? You well, know. I mean, it probably what they probably were thinking. Oh, I wish we didn't have that guy there, the videographer. Well, I didn't. Uh, well, what I didn't do was uh, was send them a picture of a videographer walking in front of it. No. no, I mean, I kept that picture because I thought if ever somebody said to me, "Why didn't you get that moment?" I'd say, "Well, here it is." <laughs> you know? I remember. What, <laughs> this must be about six years ago. Brilliant. They were nice chaps. <laughs> we had a good time with them. Uh, it was two of them. Yeah. And uh, he he said to me, one of the video guys said, uh, "What do you do for the first? What do you do for the that once the first dance is done?" Yeah. 
And I was like, uh, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, how'd you get people up and dancing? And this was in the days when I used to go home straight after the first dance. Yeah. I said, I don't do anything after the first dance, put my cameras away and get in the car. <laughs> and he was like, well, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you make sure there's party pictures? I was like, I don't. So it, it was incredible to watch this unfold. Yeah. The first dance happened. And as often does, it was a summer wedding. So mostly as soon as the first dance finished, people started drifting back outside to, you know, to, to have a drink in the sunshine rather than get on the dance floor. Yeah. So he'd spoke to the DJ to, to use some, I can't remember, let's just say it was an ABBA song, you know, a usual kind of floor filler. Yeah. And uh, he jumped into the middle of the dance floor. He ripped open his jacket and on his chest, he had two GoPros strapped to his chest. (laughs) (laughs) And he was jumping up and down. He's going, and and he actually said, he did this. He went, come on, bitches. (laughs) No, Kev, he did not say that word. It did, and it was. I mean, I am going to have. Cool I don't yeah. think the word would was uh, was necessarily an issue, but it was, no. honestly, everybody, including myself, were just absolutely astounded. And he was dancing away on the dance floor, and he had these two GoPros strapped to his chest. So, which would have made brilliant footage had it been. It's a clever way of doing it. In fairness, videographers, if the if the dance floor had been. Um, you know, bouncing. Oh. You get a couple of GoPros strapped to your chest, and you're you're in there, aren't you? And dancing yeah. away. Yeah. Um, but there was nobody on the dance floor. He's just jumping around. With his, and it was the way he ripped his shirt off like Superman. I was like, Did you stand there and watch for a while? That was one. I, of the, I, yeah. I literally, my jaw <laughs> dropped. I was like, Is this actually a real thing? This must have been eight years ago. It was a long. It was just actually probably not long after GoPros were a thing. Yeah. Um, you know, people most of the people listening to the podcast don't remember before go the world before GoPros. Yeah. It was the, it was, it oh. was probably the most peculiar thing I've ever seen from a vendor. Uh, in my ex- entire time. That's extraordinary. And especially that word. I'm not sure I'm sitting here thinking in the edit, am I, am I editing that word out? Because it's a horrible, horrible word. But oh, I'm, I'm, they use it in songs all the time. It is a horrible am word. I, am but I it's feeling, in, in, in the context of of music and that and all this kind of, you know, what they call it, street talk, isn't it? Street he he talk, was shouting it? us, I, I assume, at every gender. I don't know. Well, yeah, because well, that, that's what he made... He just shouted, come on, bitches, and, that's what makes and jumped the, around. That's the decision for bleeping, you see. Oh, I, Kev no. said it, and Kev can never get in trouble. So, um, so Happy to be unbleeped. So, so we'll, um, leave, we'll leave it in, unbleeped. What, we what? have got another patron question I just noticed. By oh, the go way. on then. And it's actually from Asim Khan, who oh, sent us okay. a book. Yeah. But it's not about the book. Um, and he, he says uh, two things. Number one, Kevin is responsible for being, for me being $1,000 poor on account of his YouTube <laughs> video that made me buy the 18 mil F1.4. And number two, uh, question. If God gave you special dispensation to take photo books of any one photographer upon your uh, exit, <laughs> which one would it be? Upon um, your exit, Monday something to report to. Hmm. So, which book would you take to the grave? Is the question. Oh, I see. Oh, I thought. All right. Okay. Oh God, what, what a decision that would be, Kev. I'm looking behind me now. Let's rephrase it. Desert Island book. Desert Island book. Yeah. I suppose, in some respects, I'd take something that's um, a bit like a, um, a a bit like a compilation album because I'm not sure I'd want to spend it with just one photographer for for my days. Of eternity. No, that's or, what or I call photography. Desert. Volume one. Volume one. Yeah, I was thinking something like century, or um... it would have to have a picture of a pig on the front. Why? Because it's no. That's what I call photography. They all had <laughs> pictures of pigs on the front, didn't they? Oh, they did. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Kev. Those. Yeah. What? What was that all about? They still make those, you know. I've yeah. still. I've and still if got you the... want the vinyl, yeah. you have to be. Um, you have to 
there was this period of time where I think they got to like now 77 or something because they started releasing them every three weeks or so, didn't they? And, <laughs> and you got now Christmas and now Easter. And <laughs> there was, um, they carried on making the vinyl, but you had to prove that you had all the others in vinyl and you had to be on a particular kind of scheme with yeah, them. Yeah. So you can still get the vinyls of them, although they probably make the vinyls again now. But when vinyl went away, um, you could still do it. So there are people still with every one. Well, the, ori- a- the original, I just typed it in the original. So I, I've got the original vinyl album, but I don't think it's worth a lot because I think a lot of people have got the original vinyl album. Yeah, it was album. a huge seller, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, I think on Amazon you can buy, this must be a new one. A re- uh, a re- no, it can't be a repressing at 489 No, it can't be, can it? So, but I think they're everywhere, aren't they? But but what was it? 1980, 1983, Kev. What was the? So here's a here's a question for you. Yeah. What was the first song on side one of No One? Oh, well, I have no idea, Kev. But it w- it would have had people like Duran Duran on there. Um, Duran Duran definitely would have been Lamal. I can't. I I don't I know. Fit, it, it's popped into my head that it's Phil Collins was the, was the first one. Yeah. I can't remember which song. I think it was Phil Collins. But yeah, you're right. It would have been all of those kind of Duran Duran. Well, let's sure look, it, let's look it up. The original album. You're absolutely right, Kev. Look at this. Track number one, You Can't Hurry Love, Phil ah, Collins. Followed yeah. by Duran Duran, Is There Something I Should Know? Red Red Wine, UB40. <sighs> uh, Heaven 17, Temptation. Casey and the Sunshine Band, Give It Up. Oh, I love that. That's that's. Proper summer holiday song, that. Bonnie Tyler, not Total, oh yeah, Total Eclipse of the Heart. That is one song I would not want to take to a desert island of all the overplayed songs of history. But uh, new edition, new edition, probably, Candy probably can't play most of those records anymore. Why? Well, because they've probably all got things in them that, are, that will upset somebody these days. Oh, I'm looking at these titles, I don't think so. There we go. Oh, UB40 were on there twice. Look at that. They were on side one and side two. Were they? According to this that I'm looking at. Floor filler. And Culture Club were on there twice. Well, they would have had Karma Chameleon on there, wouldn't they? And Victims. Was Victims? Yeah, Victims. Was yeah, on Victims. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, question. We should answer it, Kev. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what, what was the question? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Desert <laughs> Island book. Yeah, what yeah. would yours be? Cent- century. I'm going to take Century. Got it over here. Uh, it's true. Oh, my word. I think I'd have to go for Family Love, Darcy Bedilla. Ah, yes. That doesn't surprise me. I, I think that's a good choice. Right. Sentry and Darcy Padilla. So, Facebook, Kev, uh, what do you have? All right. So, uh, as usual, I will start with the latest one, which was uh, sent in 21 hours ago from Adam Aramjean. He says, hi, all, bit of a technical question. When shooting an aperture priority and auto ISO, can you change something such that the camera will just let things underexpose rather than go below the minimum shutter speed you've entered? X100F or X-T3? Well, I suppose the simple, in fact, Carl, Carl, the second brainiest person on the planet, answered this already. <laughs> Who's um, the first Carl, brain? stop answering the, the questions for the... Th- Post the questions for the show. Post questions. Well, good job we did. Who's the first um, uh, wisest? Jeremy Vine. Oh, that's a bit random. Okay. Jeremy Vine's the brainiest person in the world. Um, yeah. So the answer is to use exposure compensation. Yeah. Uh, up okay. and down, left or right, whichever way you want to call it. And that should pop your uncle. Jeremy Vine's brainiest person in the world. Why Jeremy oh, uh, Vine? Why? He's just brainy, isn't he? I've never is met he? him. Oh. I just think he's brainiest person in the world. Well, he's quite brainy given that you've met him i would imagine i have yeah yeah and his Good. brother and his brother tim vine oh yeah he's funny i like tim vine tim uh, for for those that don't live in the uk thinking who's this jeremy vine is a, a broadcaster well television and radio isn't he 
So yeah. on Radio 2, which is now, I think Radio 2 is now the biggest, most listened to national broadcast station, pretty sure. Um, I think it, I think it took over from Radio 1, but anyway. But he does a, a, a music and um, conversation show, doesn't he? Mid-mornings. Uh, yeah. Or late, sorry, into the afternoons, early afternoon. And then also, he, whenever there's the election nights, he's the one that does the swingometer these days, isn't he? Does he do the swingometer now? I think so, yeah. It used to be snow, didn't it? But I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Jeremy now. Oh, I'd love there to be an election today. <laughs> I, I still maintain that they, you know, they have tried their best in terms uh, yeah, of trying to yeah. deal with the pandemic, yeah. but their behaviour has been tantamount to absolutely abhorrent. Uh, I, yeah. We don't want to turn it into a political thing. Anyway, swing. Get Jeremy on. Get Jeremy on. He'd know what to do. And then Tim Vine is the guy. Now, I think Tim Vine actually has the record for the most jokes, doesn't he, or something, in, uh, the most jokes told on a, st- on a stage in, in, in a that. comedy show because he does one-liners, doesn't he? Very, yeah, very quick he, he, fire one-liners. Uh, he does, yeah. He was in uh, Not Going Out at the beginning. That's he was, right, yeah. He was with the brother. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He's released a da, 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 Vime on the best joke, uh, and he won the best joke award at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, what was the joke? Go on, read it. Out. I don't know what was the best joke. Oh, here we go. He's winning joke. Ready? Yeah. I- I've just been out on a once in a lifetime holiday. I'll tell you what, never again. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to sell my Hoover. Well, it was just collecting dust. <laughs> that's the sort. That's the sort of Tim Vine humour, isn't it? Yeah, I love very, that stuff. Very good. Yeah, and he does yeah. that. I mean, I, nobody can be angry at those jokes. No, no, but God knows how he does this, though, Kev, because he does it <laughs> joke after joke after joke after joke for about an hour and a half of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, let, let's introduce you to this week's guest with a story because she has a story we haven't shared yet on the Fuji cast. I spoke with her on my podcast, Photography Daily, back in episode 199, a long time ago. And she's the the inspiration behind the title of today's show, Get Out the Camera and Take the Picture. Now, we've been talking much about self-publishing of late. In fact, our book of the the week is all about, you know, taking your idea and publishing it. And um, also taking your ideas to publishers. That self-belief that you, you might have some gold in the photo story that thousands of others would just love to, to read and see. American documentary photographer Deanna Dykeman is a shining example of this. Across decades, she decided to take a picture each time she visited her parents of the simplest moment of the trip. That moment, her parents waved goodbye. Now, it might be a cliché, but it's true, isn't it? The simplest ideas can be the richest creative ones, often. And here's a moment, I think, with 2022 approaching to celebrate the uncomplicated. Leaving and Waving is Deanna's book, and this was my conversation with her. Deanna, a stream of photographers can probably lay claim to a box brownie being their gateway to photography. And you're in that number, of course, aren't you? Yes, I am. Tell me you still have it as well, please. I do. Oh. It, it's in a box packed away, or I, I would uh, get it out and show it to you. Because it was your father's camera, wasn't it? Well, it was a little brownie, um, I think it was called an Instamatic. Right. And I am not sure if it was his or if he bought it for me. I don't remember that. Have you managed to find it in the box? Would it still work, do you think? 
Well, it takes 620 film. Oh, right. So I think I can roll 120 film into it. I think you, you know, I should try that. Yeah, there we go. That's, that's a challenge for you. As I really you, should try it. As if you need more challenges with uh, how busy life is at the moment. <laughs> was was Dad a keen enthusiast then? Because he was really the... He was really the man behind sort of encouraging you originally, wasn't he? Yes, yes, because he just took pictures. So, yeah. you know, like father, like daughter. Um, but you took a little while, actually, to find your way into photography in terms of turning a dime. I mean, you you, you actually started in your 30s, didn't you? Which is the same story for me, funnily enough. What, really? Yeah, yeah. What, what took you so long? Well, you know, I don't think I considered it a valid career. I was encouraged to go to college. Um, I was encouraged to go into science or math or something. And so, you know, art was just something you did for fun. Mm. And it just wasn't anything that was kind of on the horizon that I was looking at for a while. I often use the the word craft when I'm talking about photography, and I'm, I, I use it purposefully because um, you started as a freelance photographer mid eighties, um, and there was there was still this kind of mystique, wasn't there, to to photography at that time? It was still a bit of a dark art. Not everybody understood it. Not everybody had cameras like they do now. Do you do you do you remember those initial days? Sure, and I think maybe it had to do with the darkroom. It wasn't as accessible and you know, once you kind of slid into that darkroom, black and white mm. mode, um, it was a little world. Mm. And do, do you remember making your first print or prints? I remember the first class, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it was nerve-wracking at first, developing the film, thinking you were going to ruin it, yeah. um, you know, not knowing. But, um, yeah, I think I had kind of that. I don't remember the first print, like some people talk about being some, hooked. Some, yeah, some people do, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, but I'm looking behind you, and I have the benefit of seeing behind you. And there's this huge um, uh, printer that you've got there. So I assume now the dark room is uh, is a distant memory, or do you still like to get in there occasionally? I still like to get in there occasionally. I, I was just printing last week, um, yeah. so I'm debating, you know, how much to continue that. But I had paper and chemicals, and I thought, well, what a shame not to use these up at least. Hmm. Is there still a magic though to printing? digitally or, or or really has that magic disappeared i mean it's it's slightly more of a utilitarian thing when you're printing on, on a digital printer perhaps it's really nice to have the finesse that you get with digital photography and the ultimate you know dodging little things and burning little things mm. and fixing little things but then there's that isolation in the dark room where you've got the safe light on the doors closed nobody's going to bother you unless they knock um, there's some music on the stereo, and it's really uh. a kind of a sanctuary. You're, you're selling it to me, me again. A, 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 a world that you came into, though, in the 80s, how, how, did, um, how, did, how did it start to become a job for you? Well, I was taking classes at a community college, and a commercial photographer called and needed an assistant. And so I started working for him as his assistant in architectural photography. And then I had a friend who started a little newspaper, and he asked me if I could take some pictures for the newspaper. So sort of happy accidents in some respects, weren't they? Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. A, a world minus Instagram, Flickr and Facebook. What was, what was the landscape like in terms of, you know, attracting work? Because you were freelance, so you had to go and attract work as well. And, of course, it would, would have been very different then. It would have been this uh, sort of taking your portfolio out 
time, wouldn't it? Oh, sure. Yeah, you had a portfolio. You had transparencies in these little black, black frames. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember printing up little uh, pieces to mail um, in the mail. I tried to tell people about this, that, you know, when, <laughs> that we used to post stuff out. Uh, yes. And, and wonder whether it would arrive at the, the other end in quite the same state as when it was sent. Yes. And if it was your transparencies, they would mail them back. You would send return mail. Yeah. Yeah. And they would come back to you. Um, you you traveled extensively, I know, as a photographer, which is all very glamorous. I think we look at the travel as the, as the glamour side of photography. But actually, you you kind of came back home, didn't you, really? You liked working more on your doorstep, didn't you? I did. Why? I think it was because... When I traveled, I didn't have anything I needed to say, and I felt like I was trying to tell someone else a story. Mm. And when I discovered that I could just work on my own story and tell my own heart and home, that's where I had the most to say. And I think, actually, this is when we we talk a lot about projects. And um, I've talked with photographers who say, look, you kind of have to believe yourself. You have to have an idea yourself, then go to f- go find somebody who might buy into your idea. So what was that what you were doing? Because that, that's what makes the world of freelance photography quite a, quite a scary one, isn't it? If you, if you want to develop your own ideas, you've got to find people then to buy into them, haven't you? Well, I think I didn't think about the buying into it part as first. I think I just went after what I wanted to do. And, and what were those stories initially? They were the. I started taking pictures of the neighborhoods that I lived in, and then ultimately my family. Well, this is a good time actually to talk about um, leaving and waving. Um, frankly, Dana, it's 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 beautiful in its simplicity. Um, it it really is. Um, if ever there were a book and concept that does exactly what it says on the tin, <laughs> the, 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 this is it. But when I started looking through the work. Um, there was a, it brought back for me a very poignant moment that I'd like to share with you. And it was a, it was, it, it was a sort of sad recollection, but poignant uh, in a nice way as well of my late mother's last wave to me. Um, I, w- I, I was looking at your pictures and then it struck me. Um, the last time I saw mum awake in hospital, I'd, I'd just finished visiting um, and I was on the way out of the ward, like I had done the, the days previous to that. Um, and I turned around and I, I waved and she waved back. And um, and it was unlike a wave that I'd seen before. Now, I know I could be being a little bit melodramatic and I, my wife will, will tell you that, that I can be. But I swear there was something very different in the message of that wave that afternoon. And I almost went back. I turned to go back and I didn't. Um, I, there was something inside me that said, no, no, she, she's fine. We'll, we'll, I'll see her tomorrow. Um, now I know through your work what I would so dearly have loved to have done, which was turn around and got a photograph at that moment. Because that, I don't, you know, I remember that wave. You have managed to make a book, a project, uh, and a life story out of those waves. And, and I'm sure that I'm not the first story like that that you've heard. You just put tears in my eyes. Um, yeah, it's not the first story, um, but that that is one of the more poignant ones. Mm. I mean, it, it certainly, looking at your photographs, that was the thing that struck me. I thought, oh, my word, that, that. And it, it was, what is it, 27 years of those waves? Yes. 
I mean, how did you start? It was just happenstance. Um, we were driving away, and I was in the passenger side. My husband at the time was driving, and I had my camera and some film in it, Kodachrome. It was a slide. <laughs> And my mom had a bright pink blouse and there was this red house and the green grass and the blue sky. And <laughs> I just pulled out my camera and took a picture. She was down at the end of the driveway, you know, waving vigorously. My dad was kind of in the back. It's the first picture in the series. And um, I didn't know it was the first picture. I didn't know it was a series. It was just a snapshot. Because this, this is the great thing about, this is the wonderful thing about this project, that you didn't go out there thinking, well, I need a project, so this is what I'm going to go and do. It was, again, one of life's happy accidents. But when did it become a project, though? Because there must have been a time where you thought, oh, we've got something here. Yeah, it, it, I did. Uh, in 2000, so that was in 1991. Yeah. And in 2008, I got a grant, a fellowship, the United States Artists Fellowship. Okay. It was $50,000, so it was a lot of money. And I had to think of ways to use that money, you know. Oh, my gosh. So, I I asked people, um, well, what do you you think I should do? What would you do? Um, And lots of people said, well, make a book. So, I said, okay, I'll make a book. And and I started going through the, the pictures of my parents that I had taken for years and years. I had notebooks full of negatives. And I just kept looking through them all and trying to organize them into a book. And I couldn't figure out what to do. And somehow in sorting through all that material, I saw the consistency of those goodbyes. Mm. And I saw how many I'd accumulated and how things had started to change and develop. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been doing this. This is my little book. And it was, um, I put it together, I published it on Blurb, I called it 27 Goodbyes, um, just because I pulled 20, I printed 27 pictures. Yeah, that was, was one of the the original um, uh, books, wasn't it? The uh, when, yeah, yeah, and I, I took it up and I showed it to my mom and dad, and, and it was just a month before my dad died mm. uh, that, that he got to see it, but then I knew I was doing something. Mm. So, that was 17 years into the project. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was rushing here, were they? <laughs> no. But the interesting thing when you you mentioned the word changing, and it's something that the the New Yorker pulled out, I'm sure that there are subtle things that you can see that change, not just for mum and dad, but right. uh, but but for you as well. For example, uh, a wedding band disappears. I think I recollect. Right, and the son grows up. The baby yeah. that's in the car seat ends up driving. He ends up driving you, yeah. And the dog gets old. Yeah, I was I was really um, struck by how that writer saw those things and talked about that. So therefore, it becomes as much a documentary of your, your life. Do you think as much as mum and dad's? Well, in a little bit, yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't realize so many of those clues were in those pictures. Mm. You know, our nearest and dearest are not always the easiest people to photograph. There's a kind of a self-consciousness, I think, that comes with photographing, well, mums and dads particularly, I think, um, whereas a stranger might be able to do some things that we can't. And I think it was, um, it often looks to me in the, in the few photographs that I, I, I've seen that dad seems to be warmer to the, the process than mum. Or did I, oh, read, yeah. did I read that incorrectly or is that right? No, you got it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> why, why was that? What, what was that about the relationship where, where mum was... Oh, not not another photo. 
Well, you know, my dad was the one that had taken pictures mm. as all along. So I think he understood why I might want to use a camera. Mm. Uh, he got it. He, my mom never took pictures. I don't know if I ever saw her use a camera. Um, so he, he had some sort of an understanding. And then, of course, my mom would be just maybe, oh, Deanna, you know, I'm, I, I didn't comb my hair. Or I have curlers in my hair or whatever. You know, she, she, um, she would worry more about what she looked like. But in, in, and, in the end, she, did she warm to it in the end? Yeah. Well, you know, at, at some point, even before I knew it was a project, it mm. was our ritual. Mm. It was like, get out the camera, wave goodbye. And um, so it was kind of a little game we played in a way. With regard to pictures, there must be so many more than are in the book. Or is literally everything that you like in the book? Or have you ha had to hold back so much? Well, there were 90 separate instances I found right. of lies where I had a, a picture. And is there anything that you've held back because it's too personal that you thought, no, this is, this is just for me? No. No. Not on the goodbyes. In the course of all the pictures I took of mom and dad, not just mm -hmm. the goodbyes, um, if it was just too personal and, and I felt like I needed to hold back, I just didn't take the picture. At the end of the story, dad, dad first and then mum make their final farewells. How did uh, or did you emotionally change with the farewells? I mean, I mentioned my mother a moment ago and that, that sort of knowing thing in us that thinks, mm, OK, well, is this the last? Were you becoming aware of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How did it change you as you were making the pictures? Well, I think it was a comfort to me to know that I had a picture of them. Mm. If I never saw them again, I at least had a little piece of them inside my camera as I drove away. Mm. So it, that was comforting. And I mean, I call them the something and nothings of life. And you call them the ordinary moments, I know. And, and you feel that we don't make enough of them. Well, it was a realization for me how much these pictures would mean later on. Yeah. And... Um, so that was kind of my personal thing to discover yeah. was it, it was the really ordinary nothings that would become so important that we'd want to look at again. Because if you look at your work, and in particular, um, I, mean, I love the project Home in the Middle of the Day. Home in the Middle of the Day seems like, well, why, why on earth would I want to make pictures at home in the middle of the day? But actually, and, and um, it was summed up pretty well by a guest I, I had on before, and she said... You know, I wish I had pictures of just my bedroom or I wish I had. And you've done that. I mean, it's the small things like the light falling on the carpet, the shadow cast by the chair leg and and things like that's the stuff of magic, isn't it? Well, yeah, because that gives that transports me into what that felt like. Yeah. And yeah. for the most part, it felt good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember myself finding when I went back to my one of my childhood homes, I opened a small cupboard, um, which I'd always used to keep. I, I, it was a small. It was one of those useless cupboards. You know, sometimes you think, "Why on earth did anybody build a cupboard there? What does that do? It's not big enough." <laughs> I used to put small books in it, and it had my my credit card pin number that I'd written decades and decades and decades and decades ago. When I opened up that door, there was my pin number. Oh wow! And, and you know that that's the kind. Of, they're the small details, aren't they? Now I was delighted to find that but it could so easily have been painted over by somebody else but can you imagine having a photograph and that's what we don't do we don't take enough photographs of the normal stuff where in years to come you say oh do you remember that carpet 
And you do that. Is that something that you've always done? You've always been interested in doing? No, that started for me when my parents sold my childhood home. And that that red house you see in the pictures of them waving goodbye is their second house. They kind of their retirement home. So they sold my childhood home. And I had been a photographer for a while, but I really hadn't taken any pictures of it. And I was so upset with myself that here was, I was losing the place I'd grown up in and I hadn't bothered to take pictures of it. Mm. I hadn't even seen the value in it. But there's plenty of value, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me. Nancy Borowick is a a, a photographer I talked to recently and she said, um, she said, she described herself as a hoarder. And, And we worked out that actually she's a hoarder of imagery. And I guess that's what we are as photographers, aren't we? Yeah, maybe. Or or maybe a nicer word would be an archivist. <laughs> if we decided order. <laughs> let's let's talk about the book because I'm I'm fascinated about the process of making a book. Um Blurb is a fantastic um self publishing tool, but this of course is not not Blurb. This is going a, a few steps further. How how did that process happen? Well, I um pulled together the 90 goodbyes after my mom died in 2017. And I made another book on blurb, um, just called leaving and waving. And I sent it off to the first book award at Mac. And I was shortlisted for um, the first book award last year. And then um, my guess is that's how the New Yorker saw the pictures. And the work got a lot more attention because I was on that short list and that's a very prestigious competition. And um, I didn't win, but I found a publisher. Yeah. Well, you won, didn't you really? I did win. I went. Yeah. I mean, that's a form of winning. I mean, you, you sent it in and you, you've managed. In fact, that's a very good lesson, isn't it? For those of us that, that um, have our, I'm going to come back to the some things and nothings uh, and our projects and the things that we've, to actually enter competitions, to make a book, to produce something, to send it in, to see what others think. Sure, mm. sure. And, and to me, the book was the perfect – I mean, this, these pictures tell a story. And, and so the book was the perfect place yeah. for this little project to be. Because you never know who's going to pick it up, do you? And in this case, a publisher. Yes. I mean, there was a lovely story, and I recounted this recently, about somebody who made a – I think it might have been a blurb book even – and left it uh, in the times where we used to be able to fly all the time. Um, le- left left the book in the in the bookstore at Heathrow Airport, and it happened to get picked up by a book publisher. Um, oh my god! Which is a which is a glorious story. But it does show you, doesn't it? It does show you that you should make things. Sure, and you just never know where yeah. things will lead. Yeah, most of the time nowhere, but once in a while, something happens. And what's the process then of choosing covers and? Uh, and and all that kind of any text and all that kind of thing. Well, um, my, my publisher shows commune. Um, we have worked. She talked about wanting a collaboration, mm. and so it was a true back and forth. I mean, she's got the experience of of making the books. She knows the paper and the covers, and then she. So we would work back and forth, and she'd put something together and send it to me. Then I'd look at it and think about it and try to figure out if it was telling the story yeah. or if she had brought some new insight into the work. Because so many times uh, someone will look at your work and tell you something new. You'll learn something about what you've done by how they see it. Yeah. And so she did that. You know, she um, asked for more images than the 90 that I'd picked. Um, we ended up sometimes with two pictures hmm. 
for one goodbye event um, because she saw the value in a couple of photos at that day. So um, it, it was just truly amazing to, to be able to collaborate and have it turn into something better than I could have done by myself. So what's the response been like from, I'll ask the response from other people in a minute that, that aren't related to you, but family. I mean, mum and dad won't have seen it, of course, but, but um, there's one little boy that's grown up that's seen it. Well, I think, yeah, I think he's kind of tickled, you know, proud of his mom, I hope, um, thinks it's kind of cool. Well, um, and, and do you think mum and dad would have liked it? Even, even mum uh, with her saying, Deanna, not one more photo, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She'd be really proud. <laughs> any, any plans for, for future projects now? Look, you've, you've got this one. It's, it's, um, it's about to come out and sort of hopefully be devoured by the world. Um, <laughs> what's next? Well, I still have all those years of pictures of mom and dad that I'm trying to sort through and scan and uh, figure out what to do. Mm. And maybe maybe there's some more stories in there that I haven't found yet. That's that'll be mum and dad again, though, won't it? It would be, yeah. yeah. But you know, I've got I've got so many pictures. Yeah, I know you've probably been asked this a, a lot, and we kind of touched on it. But um, if you had any advice for photographers now that are thinking, "Hmm, I like the idea of this," um, I mean, I, I suppose your advice would immediately be just start, get on with it. But what would your advice be? Take the picture. Yeah. Yeah. So many people um, have sent me little notes and emails saying um, they wished they would have taken the picture and or they didn't think to, um, you know, and again, it goes back to those ordinary moments that we talked about earlier. They're just so ordinary. We don't think they're going to be special. And so um, get out the camera and take the picture. A real joy to talk with Deanna Dykeman and revisit her super story in book called leaving and waving and we'll link to her site and throw it away to order that book on the show page today along with of course a link to Asim Khan's project too uh, that we're going to talk about very soon um, as Kev's book of the week and if you like talking of Kev more Mullins after this show and you like country music then Kev aka Country Boyo takes to the airwaves each week on the uh, Thursday at 3.30pm UK time with his show about country on incapablestaircase.com but he's available on Catch Up too, as you would expect uh, through that uh, website incapablestaircase.com Meanwhile, on uh, Fridays my podcast has now become a regular listener to that title will know by now a photo walk a walk with a microphone and a mailbag through the countryside somewhere or by the sea and we've been across the UK this year, but also I've discovered photographically the walking delights of my own backyard too. Uh, it's Photography Daily every single Friday as a photo walk. And within the show, we have guests too. And this week, my guest is Robert Gumpert, who has been making the most extraordinary street project, studying how lockdown affected those who many of us just didn't see when we were within our confines, our own confines, our own four walls. He talked with, interviewed and made street portraits of those for whom home is a word with a very different connotation. The homeless in San Francisco during lockdown. And if today is about looking at the lockdown through different eyes, this too is a story made during lockdown by a photographer who knew there was, well, a whole reverse story to feeling like you have nowhere to go. The photo walk has become a place where we discuss how we feel about making pictures, about what we use to make those pictures. And this seems to me to be one of those human stories that fits right in. So, Photography Daily this Friday, 
with Robert Gumpertz as my special guest and walking companion, uh, available wherever you get your podcasts. Right, back to your questions. Jorel Gates has one. Now, this is um, well, it's certainly a thought-provoking one, Kev. My wife and I shoot weddings, me full-time, her part-time. She's also a labour and delivery nurse. Every now and then, she has what's called a demise, where the baby is born dead. I didn't know it was called that. Um, or dies very shortly after birth. Very sad thing. There's an organisation that takes photographs of these situations free of charge, so you can remember your child. However, the hospital she works at is outside of their range since it's volunteer-based. So, since she's been working there, around about two years, we've become the photographers for these situations. And while the previously mentioned organisation came in with Flash and do a proper portrait session, my wife and I feel there's... uh, just too much for the situation when feelings are so strong. If the family's okay with us taking a baby to another room, then we may use flash. But if we're in the same room with parents, we simply use the light in the room to be respectful. With all that said, I have a two-part question. Number one, so we'll, we'll deal with it uh, one at a time. I'd like to hear your thoughts on using flash in these settings. I know you both aren't really flash users. Do you think it's better to be respectful just in case all the flashing doesn't sit well with the family? Or is it better to get slightly more studio-looking portraits to remember the baby? So that's number number one. So I suppose really, Kev, we need to brush aside the fact that neither of us um, are particularly keen on, on the overuse, or use even, of, of flash. But of course, um, used correctly and softly in this sort of situation, and there are organisations in, in the UK like Remember My Baby that do this, but... Um, if if flash and the use of uh, use of it is employed subtly and and well it can it can be something that helps to to light a subject where lo- lower key capture and shadows can certainly be less kind on certain uh, kinds of skin blemish which is i know a factor considered when the special people that do this are making their pictures and portraits uh, whilst of course kev respecting the solemnity of uh, of this time family being key here but it it's worth remembering that that this is something requested by the family to remember their baby by yeah i mean you've got to for situations like that then you know the the primary concern is the family um and you know i would base my decision based on the situation really um, I've, I've never been in that situation, so I can't really answer it. Um, if, you, if you if you were competent with oh, competent, sorry, Kev, that sounds. Uh, I don't mean it to sound like that, but if you were happy with using Flash, if, it, if Flash was something you enjoy, and let's let's rephrase it all together, if, if Flash was something you enjoyed using, Kev, in this situation, how would you feel about using Flash, being able to do both? Uh, I think Jorel kind of made a point that if it was, uh, you know, if the photo shoot was happening in a different room, then that would be slightly different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's reading the room, understanding the the um, the situation, and you know, shooting accordingly, really. Yeah. And the second one's a tricky one to answer, I think. Any suggestions on photo-related gifts that we could maybe send to the parents afterwards? We thought about coupons to print via the website we use for delivery or a simple photo book. We don't really deal with prints ever and would love to hear some ideas of something like a small gift to the parents. I assume by the sound of this that this is something that you're you're doing free of charge and much like, of course, the charity work that in our country, Kev, Remember My Baby, um, do. But I, I don't know whether 
whether the the word vouchers or coupons, even in this this sort of this fr- free sort of way of providing um, pictures and choice afterwards, I, I I don't know whether that don't know whether that those words sit comfortably with me. Um, no, I, I would I definitely wouldn't be sending vouchers or coupons or anything like that. No, um, you know, just I think some just some beautiful tangible. I, I use beautiful carefully in in this scenario because it can be done like that tangible gift of a of a, a print a real print in their hand i think that says it and does it all and maybe give them the accompanying digital file and you have to be careful i presume in terms of when you do that you need to make sure that enough time has passed presumably um you know get the timing right it would be different for each person of course but that would be something that would be going through my mind mm. um Re- referencing, remember my baby, um, though through my conversations with Nikki Heppenstall, who runs that organisation, and uh, we'll, we'll link link to that uh, today on the show page. Parent parents do actually want the pictures back, not not months after, because this is a a service that uh, that during the well the darkest moments of loss, it's a, an extremely important comfort. And I, I I worked for a couple recently, Kev, at a wedding who'd uh, not long lost their their baby, and they described this as being as her being born sleeping. So, um, I, I, well, I think the understanding and humanity you show while, whilst you're working is such a special ability. And Jorel, with your wife, you're clearly doing something very important. So, th- thank you for your mail and um, and well done. Yep. Um, right, your question, Kev, from from Facebook. I have, uh, can I just um, put a little um, word out for sending them in by email? We are now down to our last few emails, Kev. How are we doing with the Facebook questions? Are there are there plenty? Some. Yeah. We could do with a few more, but there's some. Yeah, we got we got enough. We got enough. It's all good. Good. Um so talking of the Facebook, uh this question is from Noah Sutherland. Uh he or she, he, he I think, says, uh hi folks, Neil mentioned his use of the X Pro one with analog lenses. Yes. But I'm considering moving from the F2 Fujifilm Primes to a vintage lens kit. Ooh contact gmount so i can adapt the lenses on my x pro 3 and use uh, and use the film camera probably a contact g1 together uh tired of carrying two kits and thinking in two different mindsets mediums plus that extra bit of character from the lenses doing pro work including weddings portraits and editorial do you think this is going to be a nightmare having to manually focus all the time should i turn down the gas and move on love the show from australia visiting london in april 2022 (laughs) you reckon reckon you'll visit in london in april 2022 i hope he is that'd be lovely boris is still having his frigging christmas parties you won't be they won't be going on till april kev yeah i think that'd be a nightmare (laughs) (laughs) not coming to london in april 2022 but (laughs) manually focusing positively um and of course i know that that's how it used to be done um but people used to drive cars without seatbelts didn't they (laughs) is that your analogy yeah (laughs) that's true that's true um i really enjoy using the the lenses in the way that i do but not when i'm rushed if i was rushed for a photograph if i was in a a scenario where i I had to to move pretty quickly i couldn't i'm not sure i could do it but it horses for courses i don't know how jeff Haskoff did it for all those years at weddings do you kev Well, well yeah we do know how he did it because he would deliver a lot less pictures um you know and he was a master of it and uh, he, there was no other choices really in those days no. either. No. So you know you wouldn't you wouldn't be. I mean, if you look at Jeff's work from you know from the early nineties and stuff, you don't see any of that kind of fast moving stuff that you 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 see these days at weddings. Yeah. Um. You know, you just don't see that kind of image. It's beautiful imagery and and 
you know, I, I kind of, I try and replicate that in, in my work to a certain extent in that I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not a fan of, um, you know, all the, the kind of whiz bang, bang boom type, type stuff that you get these days. Um, but yeah, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Mm. I, I, I mean, I couldn't, I, perhaps on a, if it was a really bright day um, and I could zone focus then, and I could zone focus, then I could, I could probably do it, but certainly, you know, the low light stuff and yeah. all of that. No, I, I, it would be, uh, I wouldn't say that I couldn't do it. I would, all I'm saying is that I would think it would be a bit of a nightmare. Mm. Um, Joe Arthur, love the show. Been shooting for over 12 years now. Shot magazine covers, years of weddings, model shoots, commercial work, etc. But after that, all that, I still feel as if there isn't much to show for it, even though I was proud of the work at the time. Uh, the past couple of years, tough personally, divorce, loss in the family, among other things. Sorry to hear that, Joe. But it was uh, through this time that I started creating more meaningful and better work. And it takes much more to feel proud these days, maybe a handful of images a year. Do you guys run into this type of thing as well? That's from Joe in Connecticut. Yeah. Do you, do you know this thing of, of um, the, the amount of pictures you, you make in a year that you're truly proud of i think there's less than than people would like to think aren't there yeah definitely i think and also i think the more that you look at the pictures the the the, the more you you kind of fall find, out of love find, with them find fault bit. in them maybe yeah i find fault you know it's it's like that alanis morissette record isn't it you know that alanis morissette record what? came out it was brilliant and then i listened to it so much in the end i just wanted to smash it over my head <laughs> okay a bit like Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart to me then. <laughs> Just like that, yeah. Although I quite like that song. <laughs> but yeah, point taken. <laughs> yeah. Or bright eyes. Do, do you feel that you've got much to show for... I think you have, Kev. You, I mean, you you must have... When I, I don't look, shoot. I haven't shot much. I, I wouldn't consider myself as being actively shooting personal work right now um, and probably haven't been for quite a while, since certainly since pandemic hit. Mm. But prior to um, that, the breadth of your work includes, and there's so much family stuff, which is work. Um, there's all those incredible things that you do when you go racing. Love all that stuff that you do. And you, in, I mean, you enjoy the day, and you can see it through your photographs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got some stuff I'm very happy with, and everything. Um, it's interesting because I had an email yesterday, actually, from somebody who uh, actually it was an Instagram message saying that, uh, and it was a lady from. Singapore, I think, saying that she, you know, she's been following my work for for years and years and years and years, and you know, she still looks at my family pictures and it makes her cry. Oh wow! And uh, it's helped her, you know, to yeah. really understand that, you know, taking pictures of the everyday stuff during their their lives together is is far more important yeah. than making sure that you know the background's right and they're smiling staring smiling at the camera, which was a lovely, you know, I get messages like that occasionally, but it's a lovely reminder actually that. Uh, you know, it's not just me or you, it's it's everybody out there. And, uh, you know, I I'm passionately believe that the most important pictures are the ones that, uh, you know, they not don't have to be good, they just need to be important. And, yeah, you know, I've said yeah. that before. It's yeah. the ultimate accolade, isn't it, when you have a photograph or something, some uh, where or, or a collection, but it's usually a photograph where people say, oh, that one, that one just, that one just reminds me of dot, yeah. dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think... We, we put our work out there, or we have done in the past, um, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, 
the self-promotion business, all of that kind of stuff. And generally because we like it. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course there's thousands and thousands and millions of people who don't and, and their personal photography oh, is, yeah. is just that it's just personal. And, oh. uh, you know, like I said, if you can just look at a picture and it makes you smile or it makes yeah. you remember yeah. a particular moment in time, then it's one. Right. Let's go for a, have we got time for a Facebook one here? Yeah. Go on, go for a Facebook one. Then we'll, then we'll do a book because we've got a book of the week. Okay. Jake Hilda says, hi, question for the show. I really enjoy having a go at street photography. I like the idea of having a camera on me when I'm out and about to capture yep. everything of interest. I live in a little village on the outskirts of Loughborough. And when in town, I just can't find any inspiration to shoot anything, even more so in the village I've, I live in. I feel I should be documenting local life to me. I can spend the day down London quite happily snapping away. So my question is, do you shoot locally or do you travel to big cities for street photography? Uh, wow. There we go. This is a really interesting one because what's on your, well, I've, I've learned a lot during this period of talking with photographers that what is on your, your doorstep is absolute gold. You just, you just need to wade out there and, and go and talk with people, don't you? Uh, I mean, James, yeah. James Revilius is a perfect example of this. I mean, there was no, there's no great cityscapes or people rolling balls through cobbled streets um, with his glorious work in the West Country, is there? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you, if you look at James's work, um, that's a classic example. Um, but of course, things are different now in that, you know, in those 80, late 70s, 80s, um, less people would have had cameras. Certainly nobody had mobile phones, all that kind of stuff. Photography was a different thing then. When people were taking photos of you, you would feel a little bit more special. You'd think, ooh, mm, he's taking a picture of me. No, she's mm. taking a picture of me. That, mm. You know, that's a good thing. Now, it, it, if, if anything, it's the other way around. Is, it, is that bloke taking a picture of me? What are you taking a picture of me for? Yeah, but I'm not just uh, talking about street. I'm, I'm talking about uh, organising. Say, say, well, there's um, there's a cabinet maker that's just down the road from here. It has this wonderful workshop, and I drive past it quite often. And it's uh, it's a it, it looks like a proper wrangle tangle beaten up workshop, which looks amazing. And I keep thinking, shall I just knock on the door and say, can I spend a you know a couple of hours just photographing you at work? And then just up the road from here, a guy called Fred, um, who's a, who's an engineer, has a uh, has a, a little workshop just up the, just up the road. A workshop in the middle of a, an estate that's been built around him because he's never sold his land to them. Uh, and he has this old steamroller out the back and a uh, and a and a work. And I've been there and a work shed that has these old tools and the places the places covered with cobwebs and but it's fantastic. I mean the light in there you can just imagine. A, now th there's another example. They're on your doorstep. All these people are on your doorstep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and going back to the original question about, uh, you know, not having enough to shoot or not think, you know, not, not whatever. It, it all comes down to giving yourself themes and projects. Yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't just walk out of the door into a little village and, and get gold, you know, it just can't happen. Um, you, you know, you need to give yourself, uh, uh, give a project an identity, whether that is simply, uh, you know, looking for interactions between people. It might be portraits of shopkeepers. Yeah. It might be, uh, you know, just simply shooting the landmarks of the town, but making sure there's no overlap of subjects in the frame. All of that kind of stuff will make you think about the pictures rather than think, I'm not getting any pictures. I like that idea of setting yourself um, small projects because that's something I think it's very easy not to do. And you, you look at other projects and think, what a great idea, fantastic. And you could go and do them yourself so easily. Absolutely. Um, Malmesbury you know, must be full of stories, Kev. 
Yeah, mum's is full of stories, actually. Um, although I don't photograph it. <laughs> um, maybe funny? I should. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful place. It's just the thing for me, uh, which I think is probably an issue for most people who are in business, is that if you're in, in Malmesbury for the day, then generally I'm in the studio mm. answering emails, mm. recording podcasts, mm. doing radio shows, <laughs> editing albums, mm. finances, yeah. accounts. Oh, go Kev. Backing up memory cards. Oh. Polishing the floor. Eating all the um, mince pies. Eating mince pies. Yeah. Right, book of the week. So this is a bit a bit of a twist on uh, on the theme of lockdown, by the sound of it. Yeah. So Asim Khan, uh, who is a uh, friend of the show, has been for a long time. He's mm. one of our patrons. During the lockdown, he he contacted me because he wanted some help with a project he was working on, um, and uh, it was really intriguing. Uh, and in fact, if any of you have visited my studio on workshops uh, and you've been into the male lavatory. <laughs> <laughs> then you will have seen some of his prints in the ah, in the in the loo there. Yeah. So what Asim did during lockdown was, I think, quite ingenious. So because uh, he's based in Switzerland, uh, who had quite a, a strict lockdown, if I remember rightly, mm-hmm. um, what he did was he rigged up his TV to um, a computer, or he had his computer rigged up to webcams around the world hundreds of different webcams and there are loads of webcams in various different places and through very clever exposure settings on his camera essentially took photo he didn't screenshot he took photographs of the content of the tv screen so these are all photos taken from webcams around the world during lockdown it's absolutely fascinating and when he when when we spoke about this project he wasn't sure whether to make a book or whatever and you know i kind of um, encouraged him to do that and I'm glad he's he's gone ahead and done this I'll read you the little letter that he sent okay. um, because it, it kind of bookends the stories I suppose uh, he talks initially about uh, when we spoke in the summer etc etc and then he says as photo books go this is a rather small book about a big event part of this was just economics but I wanted to keep the cost down even for this very limited run to ensure a wallet friendly price you can uh, we will link to it of course but you can you can get the, the book from www carnism.com in lockdown k-h-a-n-a-s-i-m.com forward slash in lockdown uh in keeping with the strangers uh, the strangeness of 2020 this is also a rather different book i found 2020 very disorientating within personal life turned upside down much like everybody else hence there are no page numbers or capital letters in the book yeah. and it uses a kind of paper that does not shy away from showing the muari inherent in these images yeah. It's really, really interesting. So uh, if I randomly pick a page, obviously there is no page numbers, but we're somewhere in the middle. Uh, this is a picture of a hur- braving Hurricane Etta um, on a beach in Florida. So this is a uh, picture from a webcam on the beach while Hurricane Etta is hitting and there's a person on this beach kind of being battered about um, all over the place. Rome, or the ones in Rome, I think, are fascinating. Yeah. So there is... Uh, you know, Rome, St. Uh, Peter's Square, all of that kind of stuff, the Basilica, totally empty, like totally, totally empty. Yeah. But what he's done, instead of just taking a picture of a totally empty place, there's usually one person that's just entering the frame or leaving the frame. And remember, these are not photographs that Asim's taken. He's watching the webcam and he's deciding which frame to take at that point. There's a there's a, another brilliant picture, same page, Umbria in Italy. Uh, it's called The Car in the Basilica. 
So there's um, there's a car. You have the the Basilica of uh, in Umbria, and the the picture is actually it's very foggy, very misty. Of course, you know webcams are usually three hundred and twenty pixels they're not you know it's not high detail stuff and you've got this car kind of single car driving along this you know main road it's it, it it's just brilliant andalusia spain uh, it says plenty of seats and this is a bus parked in uh, in one of the little villages and it's just one person sat on this bus yeah. wow. <laughs> it really is very very clever and we've got um and it's a true photography project because Absolutely. And when, yeah. when initially you think, oh, that's just pre- pressing screen capture, but it's not, is it? You're you're still photographing. You're still looking at a scene. You're still studying. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it's it. You know, there's lots of kind of landscapey type pictures of places and things like that. But there's these very uh, intriguing images, yeah. ghostly images of yeah. people walking across certain places. Uh, Christmas Day in Prague, um, walking across the main square. Christmas tree is there. Just one person. Opposite that is uh, Prayers for Christmas Mass 2020. So the Christmas Mass from the Vatican. Uh, snap from the webcam and it's uh two of the bishops i don't think it's the pope uh, you can't really tell because they've both got these masks all over their face but of course they still did their mass and uh did, mass yeah. in masks yeah. the last sunset of 2020 san marlo france so there's a picture there of the actual final sunset just moments before it dips beneath the mm. uh the horizon um yeah it's just fascinating it's fasc- absolutely it is fascinating, fascinating but but I, I would imagine slightly melancholic in places too because you look at these when you explain the the prague picture with the christmas tree you think well, why do they put the christmas tree up it's always like teasing but but of course the the shutters came down didn't they after trees etc gone up and we're left with these 28 day later kind of compositions absolutely yeah i i, I agree with you totally but this is different from the i think this is very different to the, uh, the the work we're, we're kind of used to seeing in yeah. during lockdown, yeah. um, because these are like glimpses of parts yeah. of the world that you just never would have experienced or seen or know exist. Um, and I remember when I spoke to Asim about this stuff, I, I, he sent me um, a whole load of webcam links to webcams and everything. And I was fascinated. I just sat there looking at them <laughs> for ages and ages yeah, and ages, yeah. just, you know, just watching um, you know, and perhaps some, sometimes not a lot happens and then somebody walks by or somebody, you know, somebody's walking their dog or they, yeah. people stop and have a kiss and everything. And it's a kiss. It's, that's not allowed. Kev, we're not allowed to do kissing anymore. Haven't you heard the law? It's, uh, it's pure voyeurism, yeah. but in art, uh, I think it's wonderful. So uh, how's it, it from lockdown wood. how's it framed then, Kev? Do, do you, do you see the actual webcam? Um, because sometimes you see webcams, you see a timer along the bottom and a, and a location, no. or, or is it literally zoom, zoomed, well, zoomed in, sorry, made the picture without any of that kind of information? It, it is yeah, so none see, of that the is scene there. only, the scene only. Yeah, none yeah. of that is there. There's a little bit of detail on how he, how he makes the shots and things like that. And how is, how is it scanned? Because sometimes screen can leave you with lines and all sorts of issues no, none of that appears either no it, it, well yeah you can see i mean none of these are none of these images are, are going to be printed at you know sixty five thousand feet big you can see you can see some of the issues in them but um he has headstead them in terms of trying to reduce, reduce uh you know contrast and certain yeah. things like that yeah. but I, I just love it you know i, I think one Great. of my favorite ones is there's one in um zandavurt 
in the Netherlands. It's this beautiful webcam picture of the sea. Um, I would say it's just after sunrise, but it might be just before sunset. And the sea is stretching out to the distance. It's dark on one side, it's lighter on the other. And then you've got this, um, what looks like a man and his child, um, although it might be a mum and her child, um, just splashing away in the the water there. But it's the solitary nature of it all that really does emphasize the lockdown. Uh, Because, of course, if you look at these, in most cases, if you look at these webcams right now, there's going to be thousands of people in them, those exact same ones. Amazing. What a great, and I think the, the, the simplicity within this, that is the key, isn't it, Kev? Yeah. Yeah. Simplicity. But it's just a great idea, you know, and... People often say, oh, you know, everything, all the ideas are taken, every, you know, you get people who complain when people take a picture that's similar to theirs, that, oh, it's the same picture as mine. You know, you can't take ownership of a scene. No. Uh, no. But this is just something very different, which is lush. So we'll link to it. So it's available, is it, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's available now. So you could go to Asim's website. He's uh, he's in the Facebook group and stuff like that. Good. So Khan Asim, K-H-A-N-A-S-I-M dot com yep. in lockdown. Perfect. What a great, what a great project. And uh, well, that's about it for this week then as well, Kev. See, Book of the Week takes us all the way to the end. Yeah, that's um, the last book. And <laughs> <laughs> no, back out, of, back out of books. Yeah, don't don't be sending mince pies. Send books is, is what we're saying. Um, would you like another couple of Tim Viners? I yeah, was, go for it. I was at sea the other day and loads of meat floated past. It was a bit choppy. <laughs> I'm so lazy I've got a smoke alarm with a snooze button. <laughs> Conjunctivitis.com. That's a site for sore eyes. See, there we go. Can you imagine that? An hour and a half of that. An hour and a half, Kev. Could you do that? Oh, I'd love it. Yeah? I'd love it. it and yes. you're right, it's not the sort of humour that upsets people, is it? No. Not at all. Oh, I'm sure some people would be upset. But no, what would Tim Vine? Not many could. How, how could you possibly get upset with him? That's it for this week. Thank you, um... Uh, for, for listening and uh, if you're sharing the, the episode on Twitter or Facebook you're an absolute star um, send your quet now we do need to start collating these uh, collecting collating collecting these questions now um, to, to see us through Christmas and into the new year although I think we're having a week off at Christmas aren't we Kev Kev is actually, so. actually battening down the hatches with a thousand and one mince pies and what's your favourite tipple for Christmas Kev Oh, um, what do I have at Christmas that I don't normally have? Normal well, I'm just mentioning it so that so that you can get all these crates and cases coming your way in Malmesbury. What, oh, what? right, I see. So there, there is a like, reason. I like a little whiskey. Like a little whiskey. Oh, what, yeah. a PT one or a... A big like, one. Oh, Lagavulin. Yeah, by far my favourite. Really? Okay. So there we go. You know what to send Kev for Christmas? Um, mm-hmm. Send your emails to click at fujicast.co.uk with the questions. And remember, you can also leave them in the, in the Facebook group. Music from Blue Wednesday, supporting music from the incredible artslist.io. And we will see you next week. Bye, Kev. Bye. The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.